Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we go on the Anarchist Wool this week, broadcast across Australia and the community via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So if you're dragged away during the Anarchist Wool this week, don't despair. It is a podcast. If you're listening to this program for the first time, my name is Joseph Toscan. I'm hosting the program, uh, the Anarchist Wool this week. Attempts, and the keyword attempts to give a, a non-authoritarian analysis of what's happening in the world today. And why anarchist? Why the anarchist world this week? Very simple. An anarchist is somebody who wants to live in a society without rulers. Very simple. Anarchos without rulers. Without the arcos, right? Very simple, not without rules, but without rulers. That's what it's about, a very simple concept. And how do you create a society without rulers? Well, you need to devolve power and you need to hold wealth in common. It's that concentration of power and wealth in the hands of a minority or an individual which gives people the power to lay down the rules and you jump to those rules. Very simple. Very simple concept. Nothing bad about it. And why does the word anarchism have such a bad publicity? It's very simple. Obviously, we're all tainted with original sin. And if left to our own devices, we'd be raping and plundering and killing each other. And we need strong rulers to do it for us, the raping, the plundering and the killing. (laughs) Extraordinary, isn't it? When you think of the damage that's been done, you know, since uh, settlement, not just in this country, but uh, beginning of agriculture, you can actually see that when we've got that strong ruler, that we see the atrocities occur, whether it's a Hitler or a Stalin or a Pol Pot. The list goes on and on. The more concentration of power and fewer hands, 
the greater the inequalities and the greater the slaughter. So, very simple. So, what do we attempt to do in the program? Well, today we're going to talk about a few things. Now, it was quite interesting that at the end of the program last week, I had a a call, and it's something I've been thinking about for some time, from a person who's uh, come to this country from South America. He was mentioning to me a little fact I didn't know, that there were millions of people out in the streets in Argentina and Chile and many South American countries regarding the what's happening to superannuation funds in those countries. And so I thought we'd maybe look at superannuation today. Because, see, people don't seem to understand what superannuation is. Superannuation has a number of roles. The first role is it fits in the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, political, social, cultural agenda. Because superannuation is about the privatisation of old age. It's a little bit like being a Hindu. You're wondering, he's finally lost his marbles. Well, it's a little bit. You know, you're born into a particular caste. And in that caste, you will remain for the rest of eternity. It's the same with superannuation. If you've got a good wage or make a good income during your working life, you're going to have a great retirement, especially with all these wonderful investment-friendly superannuation laws that exist in this country, where it's a great vehicle by which to legally minimise your tax. Great vehicle, wonderful people, and obviously the Australian people are happy with it because they re-elected the Turnbull-led government and that's the way it goes. So... It is the privatisation of old age. So after a lifetime of work and paying your taxes and being a good citizen, the time arrives to retire, you have to pay for your own retirement. And that comes from your salary sacrifices. And you say, but the employer, well, the employer pays that, but that's basically part of your salary. So the state no longer has any responsibility for its citizens. Great, great concept. Privatise old age. Privatise retirement. Great concept. And the second more important aspect of superannuation is where do the trillions of dollars go in this country? And 44% of every stock and share and bond which is sold and bought in this country today will come from superannuation funds. And what superannuation tends to do is make us all little capitalists, wonderful little investors, with institutions investing in the very organs that exploit us. And when we get to old age, we have to rely on the vagaries of the market. That's right, the vagaries of the market, investment, fund managers, people who are there to take their cut, whether it's a industry super fund or a non-industry or a privately run super fund. So that's what it's about. It's about 
creating a pool of money for the corporate sector, which then they use to expand their business activities. And this happens through superannuation funds investing in these privately owned corporations. So that's what's that's that's the key. And what we find is that laws change regularly. And what happens to the money, which is theoretically your money, which you can't touch till retirement unless there's some type of catastrophic event in your life, what happens is that you are totally reliant on the capitalist system not entering a crisis because you could find your super, although there are people talk about diversified investments, I mean a little bit here and a bit there and a bit there, you could find that your superannuation fund could drop in value by half overnight depending on the gyrations in the marketplace. But more importantly, what we are seeing in South America is governments dipping into these superannuation funds in an attempt to deal with present-day issues and problems. So we are seeing that the superannuation funds are no longer seen as property which belongs to the superannuant, but as property which belongs to the government of the day. And I can assure you that if, if there is some type of crisis, economic crisis in this country in the next decade or so, that the same thing will happen to those funds in this country. Where we will see legislation passed which will see those funds almost disappear in order to bail out governments who find themselves in difficult positions, not because of their incompetence, but because of the domination of the political process by unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social and environmental and national cost. So it is an interesting concept, superannuation, because one, that money is used. It One, it privatises the concept of old age. It means you are personally responsible. And if you are rich or well-connected or have investments, disposable income to be part, become part of the Australian investment class, well, then you will have a wonderful retirement. If you're way, if you're casualised, part of the casualised workforce, which includes over 30% of Australian workers today, if your income is minimal and you don't actually have excess income to invest, you'll find that your retirement is just as miserable as your working life. Then you have that money being used to support the very system, the very capitalist system which exploits each and every one of us. And then you have the spectre of the state accessing those resources when it finds itself in a difficult situation. So think about it. And most importantly at all, 
It changes the cultural climate in this country. It makes each and every one of us begin to think like an investor, begin to believe that our personal security and our future is tied in with the security and future of the capitalist system and that we have to do everything we can and elect governments which promote a corporate agenda. Welcome to the 21st century. Welcome to the privatised age. Welcome to the age where old age is now nothing more than a private profit-making concern. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, let's move on to a few things that are happening. Just Once again, I'd like to remind you, especially if you live in the city of Melbourne or the state of Victoria, or you're in Melbourne or the state of Victoria on Sunday the 11th of September. The building of the Tunnaminaway and Moorboy Hina Monument has not only begun, but is nearing completion. If you're in the Melbourne CBD, go down and have a look at the corner of Franklin Street and Victoria Parade, opposite the old Melbourne jail. Now, the Melbourne City Council, which provided the land and has paid for the monument and organised the artists who created this monument, and see, they won't... See, it's, it's funny, you know, they don't call it a monument. They, they call it a, a placement marker. They don't like the concept of a monument, you know? Because although the, Tun- the Anarchist Marine Institute initiated this struggle in 2014 and morphed into the Tunnaminaway Morbohina Commemoration Committee in 2006 and has been involved in many, 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 many twists and turns to ensure this monument is built. We need to remember that the land the process by which the monument is, was created and the money was being provided by the Melbourne City Council. Now, it's important for all those of you who over the last 14 years have attended the yearly celebrations to join us on that day because we need to remember without the efforts of the Tanaminaway Mobile Hina Commemoration Committee and the Anarchist Institute and all those radical Indigenous and non-Indigenous people who stood by us and fought with us every inch of the way regarding the creation of this monument, that Tanaminaway Mobile Hina and their exploits would still be a footnote in Australian history. I mean, I really find it extraordinary. Most Australians know more about the North American resistance against colonisation 
I mean, everybody knows Geronimo and the Apaches and the Mohawks, Sitting Bull, and the list goes on and on. But few Australians actually know about their own history, and they don't know about their own history for one very good reason. Because this history has been pushed aside, ignored, forgotten. Because to acknowledge the brutality of the colonisation process is to acknowledge that we still owe a debt to this country's first people. So the significance of the monument goes far beyond its mere presence, although it is the first official monument that's been created that acknowledges the frontier wars and the brutality of the frontier wars in this country, which is no mean feat. When the Gurindji walked off Vesties and began their sit-down strike 50 years ago, it heralded the beginning of the modern lands right movement. When the High Court in 1992, almost 25 years ago, found as a result of Eddie Marbo's historic legal challenge that native title had not been extinguished by the colonisation process, land rights were put at the centre of political debate in this country. The establishment of the Tanaminawai Morbohina Monument in the CBD of a major Australian city to men who paid the ultimate price for resisting the colonisation process puts the frontier wars at the forefront of the reconciliation process between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, publicly recognising the resistance against colonisation is pivotal to kick-starting a stalled reconciliation process that is based on justice, not charity. The journey began in 2004 as a result of the whitewashing of the brutality of the colonisation process by powerful political and media forces in this country who continue to deny this country's black history, who almost succeeded in their attempts to deny this country has a black history and a colonisation process that we should all be ashamed of, was pivotal to creating this monument. I mean, it's a long journey that's taken many twists and turns and and many twists and turns have occurred in the last two or three months. As we've battled to ensure the radical content of this struggle is not written out of the historical record. Because let's not forget, it is the radical who lights the match, which shows the way forward for the rest of the community. And although very few radical struggles come to fruition, Without that radical content in any society, without people who are willing to break the rules, without people who are willing to ignore protocol, 
without people who are not willing to genuflect to authority, without people like you and me, change would never occur in this society. When you look at all the little things that have become central issues, central components of life in this country, whether it's gender equality, whether it's marriage equality, whether it's racial equality, whether it's the struggle against poverty, if it wasn't for those radical forces which we represent, if it wasn't for people like you and me, that change, that light would never have gone, been put on, been turned on, never would have been turned on and things wouldn't have changed. Without the Quakers launching the anti-slavery movement long before the American Civil War, It's quite possible that slavery would still be a central feature of life in the Western world, although it is a central feature of life in many parts of the continent, many parts of the world on many continents. So it is the radical activist who turns on that light, which allows other people to flock to that light and become involved in social change, political change, cultural change. And that's what the Anarchism Institute was formed for in 1986, for one very good reason. To act as a battering ram. To make that little break in society. To allow those new ideas to grow to create the infrastructure, the political infrastructure, the intellectual infrastructure, the cultural infrastructure for those ideas to gain traction in society as a whole. So it is time to celebrate the fact that we are radicals. It is time to celebrate the fact that many of us consider ourselves to be anarchists, people who want to live in a society without rulers. We don't need to be apologetic about anything. We don't need to be ashamed of who we are. We need to stand our ground and highlight how important the radical activist has been in the process to change life in this country. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. So don't forget, 2pm, Sunday, the 11th of September, the official opening, the official opening of the Tanaminawe and Moorbohina Monument. Not marker, monument. You need to be there to ensure that the radical nature of this struggle continues all right let's move on let's move on 
It looks like the maggots are crawling all over the body politics, isn't it? It was wonderful to have seen the swearing of Parliament. Not that I actually watched it. I've got better things to do, like sleep, defecate, blow my nose. But it was wonderful, wasn't it? Now, I know a lot of people are a little bit confused. They're a little bit confused because although there is a push to create a radical climate, to create that climate that's required for change, it seems to be that as far as parliamentary representation is concerned, that those who now find themselves in Parliament, those who have been elected by the Australian people, to a significant degree, almost to a man and woman, not quite fully, but almost to a man and woman, are there pushing conservative, reactionary programs. That's right, conservative, reactionary programs. That's all they're pushing. For example, first day of Parliament, what are the two, three big issues, three big issues to give you an idea of the nature, the nature of the society we have become? We have every Liberal Party backbencher Senator, plus most of the crossbenchers, supporting a motion to remove Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act, which makes it illegal to insult or offend somebody because of their racial origin. Simple. Number one. Number one political program for many of the scum and maggots, especially those from the Institute of Private Affairs, I don't call them public affairs, the IPA, whose ultimate aim is to totally control the Liberal Party, the Tea Party faction of the Liberal Party. And there they are, carrying on about this central issue, most important issue in their eyes. And they talk about free speech. They're not talking about free speech, they're talking about oppressive speech. It's not free speech. I mean, I can call them maggots. I can call them scum. But I'm not referring to their racial origins think about it then you've got then you've got legislation which will most likely be supported by 10 of the 11 cross benches which gives workers less legal rights than somebody who's charged with importing 100 kilograms of heroin into this country. Workers who are subjected, will be legally subjected to star chamber 
interrogations and if they don't answer uh, questions about whether they attended a stop work meeting, whether they had a conversation with a some you know a delegate, they'll find themselves in jail or more importantly bankrupt because they don't want to create martyrs. What they want to do is they want to say to you, you don't answer these questions, boys and girls. We don't want you as a martyr, but we will ensure that every dollar that you have will disappear. So that's the big legislative agenda. And then, number three, we have the... We have... Number three, we have the Turnbull-led government who's introducing legislation as I speak for budgetary constraint, which will have the most impact on on the 33% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive, less than $350 and $256 in some cases per week, and which will have the greatest impact on poorly paid, casualised workers. So these are the three primary pieces of legislation which Parliament will need to deal with in the next few weeks. And we have these scum... These parliamentary maggots tell us that they are working on behalf of the electorate. And let's not forget, they were voted in by the electorate who believe the propaganda that it's the other, the person of a different racial origin, a different gender, or a different sexual orientation, who speaks a different language, who wears different clothes, who, you know, looks different. The problem, if you get rid of them, a.k.a. the Nazi way, you'll find you'll have no more problems because there's no more dissidents in society. I know it sounds extreme, but think about it. So why have we found ourselves in such a pathetic situation? Why is it the Greens have not been able to fill that vacuum? And to a significant degree, it's due to the fact the radical left is dead, cremated. The ashes are scattered across the continent. Not even a Frankenstein revival is possible because the radical left has been consumed by ideological picadillos ideological battles which really have no consequence for anyone. So those of you who complain to me, and there are many, who'll ring me up, who'll write to me, who'll email me and talk about how horrible it is, well, I've got one suggestion for you, one simple suggestion. It's time that we had a political party slash movement in this country that put public interest before corporate interest on every available question, whether it's homelessness, whether it's the amount of uh, resources that go towards dealing with significant issues in this country, that we have one political party that doesn't blame the other, that is willing to put 
that is willing to put our interests before the interests of sections. A political party that's not based on issue-orientated politics because the left has splintered into these issue-orientated parties which have a little interest in a little area of society but no interest, no interest whatsoever in society as a whole. Think about it. So, what am I talking about? Well, simple. We're in the process of attempting to register a new political party. Now, you may say, woe be me, nothing's going to change unless there's direct action. Well, there's no direct action out there. Direct action to a significant degree is now being taken by more fascist and neo-fascist elements in society. In the parliamentary sphere, what we have is nascent fascist, neo-fascist political movements, pro-corporate movements. There is nothing in the parliamentary process that actually provides some type of alternative, some type of viable alternative which is based on the concepts of devolving power and sharing wealth. It's not there. You may say to me, well, there's a cooperative here, there's a collective here, there's a social movement here, there's people involved in action there. But in reality, it is minimal. The effect is minimal. It's like a ripple on a lake. You see it and it disappears. You see it and it disappears. What we need is a tsunami, not a ripple. And everything starts with a first step. It's a little bit like an avalanche. Avalanches don't occur by themselves. They seem to come out of nowhere, but they start with that first stone. And as that first stone starts winding its way down the hill, down the mountain, down the slope, down the cliff face, it attracts other stones and more and more and more until it creates an avalanche which has an impact when it hits the ground. And what we need to do is we need to create an avalanche in this country, a political avalanche, which is based on the idea that the public interest, the interest of the people as a whole, should always be put before sectional interests, before corporate interests. So, challenge. Throw a challenge out there. If you're one of those tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Australians that keeps bitching and complaining about the political process, about the type of politicians we have, about the fact that change, you know, especially economic change, is difficult to achieve, about the fact that everything is in the corporate world's favour, well, think about it. Why don't you join public interest before corporate interest? Very simple. doesn't cost you a cent. Once we get 500 members on the electoral roll and we're well on the way, we'll apply to become a political party. If it succeeds, if it doesn't, at least we've tried. So 
number of ways you can join. Go to the website, pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Download the application form. Send it back to us. Fill it out, send it back to us. Hey, presto, before you know it, you'll have a Pipsy membership card. Not computer literate? You can always ring me. 0439 395 489. Now, don't despair if I don't answer the phone. Just leave a message. If you just want an application form, leave a contact address. We'll send it to you. Right? Or you can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Go to the Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to my own personal Facebook page, Toscano for the number four, the public. Toscano for the public. Go to the... Go to the Facebook page, interact with it, make a comment of what's on it. But more importantly, most importantly of all, join us. Public interest before corporate interest, Pipsy, join us today. Not tomorrow, join us today. Public interest before corporate interest. There's no point complaining. Look, I could make the most outrageous statements about members, individual members of the Senate and the House of Representatives. But the reality is they have organised politically and they have been able to snare seats in Parliament and they are now using that power they're able to exercise to promote their hateful, myopic, corporate agendas. Think about it. Isn't it time there was a different agenda put on the uh, parliamentary papers. Wouldn't it be nice? You like that word? Nice. I am saying it tongue between my teeth. Wouldn't it be nice that instead of having parliamentarians rise up in anger regarding insult and offend in the Racial Discrimination Act, rise up and support legislation to ensure, to ensure that workers on building sites have less legal rights than somebody who's charged with importing 100 kilograms of heroin or somebody who's charged with multiple child sex offences. To ensure that we don't have legislation which targets the one percent, the forty percent of Australians who own forty percent, the one percent of Australian, sorry, the forty percent of Australians who own one percent of the wealth, not target the one percent of Australians who own forty percent of the wealth in this country. So, wouldn't it be nice to have a political party in Parliament that could raise these issues? For example, we have Turnbull and his government. What's left of it? You can't really call it a government, you can call it a rabble. And my apologies to rabbles, because I know some rabbles which have actually done more than the, the Turnbull government will do in the next three years as it stumbles in over its feet in the next three years. I mean, poor old Malcolm, you've got to feel sorry for Malcolm. You've got scum in his party, the political party, the IPA, the Institute of Private Affairs, masquerading as the Institute of Public Affairs, the Institute of Private Affairs, you know, snaring all these parliamentary seats, knifing 
poor old Malcolm every time he moves. Then you've got the old religious conservative right kind of knifing him in the back. One seat majority in the House of Reps has to deal with 11 crossbenchers, 10 of whom will support almost every reactionary parliamentary legislation which, you know, goes through Parliament. Think about it. He called a government a rabble, a total rabble. But we have allowed it to occur. It's our failures as radical activists, our failure which to be able to actually interact in the political process which has allowed this situation to occur. So I said before, join us. Public interest before corporate interest. Don't ring me up. Don't ring me up and don't email to complain, all right, about how bad it is. I know how bad it is. I've been talking about it for 39 years, 40 years in a few months here on community radio. So don't ring me up and tell me how bad it all is. I know. What I'll say to you is, what are you doing about it? What are you going to do about it? What activities are you involved in? And if you think everything is a waste of time, well, why don't you initiate something which you don't think is a waste of time? Because hmm? that's the issue. What are you doing to change the situation? What are you doing? What are you doing today? And how effective is it? This to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia and the community radio network. You know, Australian history is fascinating because certain elements almost become deities and other elements are written out of the historical record because it doesn't really suit those in authority to acknowledge how the efforts of ordinary men and women change the course of history in this country. We spoke before about the frontier wars and the monument to Tanaminawai Mōbuhina, which is being called a placement marker, you know, by the Melbourne City Council, but you can't win every battle. And now I'd like to use the term lest we forget. Now, I'm sure 99% of our listeners won't know this, and most of our listeners are pretty erudite, well-read people with their finger on the pulse. That's the body politic pulse. Now, the 28th of October, nineteen sixteen, should be the 28th of October, 2016, marks the centenary of the plebiscite that was held by the Billy Hughes-led government during World War One to introduce conscription to ensure a steady stream of Australians would continue to be sacrificed on the European killing fields in a dirty little trade war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet for the glory of God, 
king and country, not democracy, freedom, equality or the defence of Australia. At least the Second World War, which led to the deaths of over 50 million people, was a war which was based, which was needed to defeat fascism and all the evils which accompany those, those political movements and it's the type of fascism which we are seeing being recreated in Australia in 2016. But World War I was different. It was no grand war for democracy or freedom or equality or even defence of the nation state or the defence of Australia. It was a dirty little trade war fought by imperial powers, by workers at either end of a bayonet, for the glory of God, king and country. To their credit, the Australian people, unlike Australians in 2016, rejected conscription at plebiscites held on the 28th of October 1916 and on the 20th of December 1917. So we are encouraging you to organise events in your city, your town, across the country to mark the 28th of October 2016 as the centenary of the plebiscite which saw the Australian people reject the introduction of conscription in this country during the height of World War One. So if you live in the city of Melbourne, I encourage you to join us to mark this historic moment at midday on Friday the 28th of October outside Story Hall at the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, Building 16, 336 to 348 Swanson Street in Melbourne. Not far from the Tanaminoe Mōbōhina Monument, believe it or not. And obviously there won't be a plaque or anything to actually acknowledge the role of Story Hall in that anti-conscription struggle. And why Story Hall outside RMIT? We'll be gathering outside Story Hall as this was the headquarters of the Women's Peace Army in Melbourne. One of, one of many, many movements and groups involved in the anti-conscription struggle during World War I. One week earlier, on the 21st of October 1916, the Women's Peace Army marched from Story Hall to the Arabank in Melbourne in the largest anti-conscription rally held in Australia during World War I. Women activists addressed a crowd of over 80,000 on that day. A huge, a huge crowd in a city of less than one million. If we had the same numbers today, you'd, you'd need at least a half a million people on the streets. To give you an idea, that's one in, one in, you know, what's that, one in nine. To give you an idea of the strength of opposition to conscription in this country during World War One. If it wasn't for the anti-conscription coalition that included such diverse groups, 
as radical workers groups like the industrial workers of the world who spearheaded the anti-conscription struggle and the anti-war struggle in 1914 when war was declared in, in August 1914. And the Roman Catholic Church led by Melbourne's Archbishop Mannix. Women's groups like the Women's Peace Army and a significant section of the trade union movement, it's no exaggeration to say that another 62,000 young Australians would have died on the European killing fields and another 60,000 would have died of their wounds within a decade of returning home to Australia. Of the 420,000 men who volunteered to fight in the war to end all wars. 62,000 died on the European killing fields. In some battles, 8,000 in one day, slaughtered for the glory of God, king and country. And another 60,000 of that 420,000 died of their wounds in the most appalling manner within a decade of returning home to Australia. Faced with a revolt at home, the renegade Labor Prime Minister or former Labor Prime Minister Billy Hughes who had defected to the conservative side of politics was forced to hold conscription plebiscites in October 1916 and December 1917 in an attempt to forcefully send those young Australians who had refused to volunteer to the European killing fields. On both occasions the anti-war movement in Australia defeated these attempts lest we forget. The state-sanctioned commemorations we have seen over the past year that have occurred in Australia, Turkey and Europe have conveniently whitewashed the important role the anti-conscription movement and the anti-war movement played in Australia during World War I. Not a tear is shed for those activists, many of them who paid a great price for their struggle against conscription, who paid a great price to protect the lives of young men in this country a hundred years ago. There is no monuments to them on the streets of the, across Australia. There are no plaques. There are no tears shed. There are no commemorations. And if we don't remember that struggle, nobody else will. And why should we remember it? By reclaiming our past, we are in a better position to what is understanding what is happening in Australia today. By bearing witness to what happened, we can ensure the unnecessary slaughter that occurred during World War I will never happen again. And that's the key. Will never happen again. And we mark the day, and we will be marking it in Melbourne, at midday on Friday the 28th of October, outside Story Hall, RMIT, Building 16, 336 to 348 Sonson Street in Melbourne. We will mark that day. It doesn't matter if there's one or two or three or 20 or 200. We will mark that day, and we will bear witness to the strength of the anti-war, anti-conscription movement during World War I which would not have been an easy struggle to be involved in, considering the number of men who were dying on the European killing fields as the anti-conscription struggle was waged in this country.
and again, lest we forget. Lest we forget. This is an initiative which is being promoted by the Anarchist Media Institute because, see, it's the radical. It is the radical who raises the important issues. It's the radical who talks about corporate fraud, the fact that corporations in this country pay no taxation. And just to remind you that on Friday, the 2nd of September, Friday, the 2nd of September at 11.30am, we'll be meeting in Federation Square and then marching to the Herald and Weekly Times building at 40 City Road in Melbourne for one very good reason, to highlight the fact that the corporate world pays voluntary taxation and Mr Murdoch and News Corporation and 21st Century Fox have taken it one step further when they received $989 million tax refund, all legal, of course, in 2013, courtesy of the Australian taxpayer, while making inordinate amounts of profit. And that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's about the radical highlighting what's happening. Not just highlighting, but organising to ensure that this type of fraud, this type of corruption, does not continue to be a central feature and a central aspect of life in the so-called lucky country for some. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Don't forget, this Friday, 2nd of September, 11.30am, meet at Federation Square uh, near the information uh, ticket box at the corner of Flinders Street and St Kilda Road. Then at 12 o'clock, we will walk across to the uh, Herald and Weekly Times building just to show them that uh, we're still around, whether there's two of us, 10 of us, 20 of us, 200 of us just to show them, bear witness. Don't forget, 2pm, 2pm, Sunday the 11th of September for the opening of the Tanaminaway Mormohina uh, Monument. Don't forget, 9th of October, Sunday the 9th of October, Human Rights Square, Peter Norman Day, Human Rights Day. Don't forget, Story Hall, 28th of October, and the list goes on and on. So, don't tell me there is nothing happening. It's up to you. Join us. Join Pipsy, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to the website, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, number four, The Public. Many of all the things we're involved in, up there, get involved, become one of the, become one of the movement. Join the Wednesday Action Group. Lots of things happening. It's up to you whether you uh, take it up, but if you don't take it up, don't ring and complain because the first thing I'll ask you is what are you doing what are you going to do thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station evil minds that plot destruction sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashing.
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs>